Hello, and welcome to episode three of The Masked Parent, real stories from a really bad parent, which is me. If this is the first episode that you've ever listened to from this podcast, I am a single white mom raising two adopted black sons, Percy and Reginald. I go by the name Jane Doe, and I am masked to uh, protect my now adult sons from any running statute of limitations that might be attached to uh, the activities I describe from when they were younger, and to ensure that their existing juvenile criminal records uh, can be successfully expunged and not continue to follow them into adulthood. Since beginning the podcast, I've also found that being anonymous helps me resist the temptation to lie to you and make myself seem like a better person than I really am. Today's episode is about what I have always thought of as my secret superpower, but what other people might consider to be horrible psychological damage. By the end of the story, you'll probably have an opinion of your own one way or the other. What is my superpower? Okay, I don't actually know what it's called. Although I think probably psychologists have a name for it. My superpower is my ability to not react to physical pain. It doesn't sound very impressive when I say it like that, just hearing it now. But it is actually definitely rare because I haven't met another person that has admitted to having it. And it has had impacts on my life, both positive and negative. Let me give you an example. If I wanted to, and I don't, so this is not a challenge for anyone out there. Um, But if I wanted to, I could put my arm on a table and I could have another person take a sledgehammer and smash my arm repeatedly so that the bones in my arm turn to bone meal. And if that happened, I wouldn't make any sounds. And I would be able to watch the hammer come down over and over again without flinching. It wasn't until young adulthood that I realized that something about the way that I handled pain was weird. I had noticed that other people seemed to be very dramatic about being injured or when, you know, something would happen, they would fall down and scrape a knee or something like that. It did seem like they made a lot of noise and movement. And, but, but I always thought that was like a, like a personality trait of the individual person, that they were just, you know, they liked to put a lot of drama in it or that they were just super vocal or something. It didn't occur to me that I was different until a few incidents kind of piled onto each other. And I had an opportunity to notice that my reaction to pain upset people. Something would happen and I would experience a physical pain. And then the people around me after that, if they had noticed the way that I had experienced the pain was sort of as a non-event, they acted weird. And they looked at me a little bit weird. I remember once I was moving in to 
a new apartment with my girlfriend. I haven't brought this up before, but I'm gay. I don't talk about that a lot, mostly because it hasn't been a big deal in my life. It just kind of is. But anyway, I was moving into a new apartment with my girlfriend, and we were moving a refrigerator through a lobby when somehow we lost control of the refrigerator. And it tipped sideways, hitting me in the forehead, knocking me back into the brick wall of the lobby, and coming to rest on my forehead, which prevented it from ever hitting the wall, and left my head pinned between the wall and the fridge. That hurt a lot, but of course, I didn't make any sounds. And we kept going, and we got into the elevator, and we got it up to the apartment. But when we were done, we were, you know, going to make another trip down to get more stuff because uh, we were—it was moving day. And I said to my girlfriend, I was like, uh, "Actually, I just need to sit down for like a couple minutes because, you know, I hit my head." And she was like, "When?" And I said, "When the refrigerator fell." And she said, "That was your head." I thought it hit the wall. We need to go to the hospital. We need to go to the hospital right now. And I was like, no, 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 it's it's fine. I'm fine, but I do I do have a headache. It does hurt, and I need to sit down. The next thing that happened was that she was angry. She was pacing around in a circle, just getting herself wound up and saying, I don't understand it. How How could you have not made any sounds when that happened? That was horrible. And I was like, I don't know. I've found this before when I get hurt and people get upset. Like, I'm busy, like, having a headache from having my having a refrigerator smash into my freaking head. And the person's like, why were you like this? Why did it happen? Why didn't you make any sounds? I'm like, I, I'm hurt. Can you just not bother me? <laughs> yeah, so that's what happened. I was sort of getting the third degree about why I hadn't produced any sound. There's another time when I was not actually I was living in the apartment that we had moved into with a fridge. So uh, it wasn't much longer after that. I was at work. A bunch of us went out to lunch and we all piled into like two cars. And I had been in the back seat of like a two door hatchback. And as we were getting out, I guess the guy who had gotten out of the front passenger seat thought I was going to get out the other side and slammed the door shut on my hand that had been wrapped around the inside of the door as I was about to get out. And so it just crushed my hand. After he slammed it, um, I didn't make any reaction. And I kind of knocked on the glass of the window and I called out to him. I said calmly, hey, can you can you open the door? Because that's uh, my hand is caught in the door. And he was like, what, what? And he opens the door. And then, of course, my hand is like, <laughs> my hand is in the shape of the inside of the door, right? It has just been just mashed. And I get out of the car and I'm trying to go in for us to continue lunch. And um, all the people that had been getting out have like, you know, circled around me and they are upset and I'm not sure that anything's broken. And if I've broken just some fingers, I'm not going to freak out about it because you just splint those at home and I don't want to have to wait in an emergency room. Like, you know, I hate my emergency rooms. I'm intending to get some ice when I get inside the restaurant. I'm intending to kind of figure out what's going on with my hand, but everybody is just standing around me getting upset. 
And I don't know who starts it, but, but somebody in the group is like, you didn't even make any sounds. It's again with this, again with this. You didn't, you didn't even react, right? And that becomes the thing that everybody is freaked out about, right? And that they're sort of talking about. And it's just, a, again, one of those times where I'm bewildered why this is such a focus for people. Because it's just, you know, I don't have another experience besides the way that I have learned to deal with pain. So I don't feel like it's weird because it's my whole life. It took some convincing for me to get everybody to just go into the restaurant and just, you know, sit down and go to lunch like we had planned. Like I didn't want the door thing to like screw up lunch for everybody. I promised that I would get ice when we went in and I was going to take care of it and it wasn't that bad. And you can see already that it doesn't seem like anything besides maybe a couple of my fingers are broken. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't that bad to me, right? So we all went in and, and we went to lunch. But after that, lunch was ruined anyway because everybody was like quiet and it seemed like they were being weird to me and made me feel just horribly self-conscious. Also, my hand did hurt, (laughs) and that sucked. It's like, somehow, just the fact that I I wasn't like, oh, or something, it made it feel like everyone thought I was like a space alien or like a murderer. Like, it was just so uncomfortable after that. And it was actually after that incident that I began to work on trying to fake it, trying to make a sound when something happened so that I would seem normal, right? So somebody would hit me with something and I, <laughs> I'm i like faking this. So like, I don't even know what level of pain is supposed to trigger the sounds, right? So I start doing it whenever, like, you know, something hits me, oh, like I just say something. But I, I can only do it when I remember to do it. So weirdly, when something really, really hurts badly, I forget to make the sound because like I'm busy processing the pain. As I've progressed through adulthood, I, it has gotten easier for me and it has started to feel more natural because I, I just try whenever I can to make a sound if something hits me or hurts me or something like that. It's also helped that I've decided to think about it not as crying out in pain, but as communicating to people around me that something has happened. And that's felt more genuine, but I still feel like a space alien. I had a heck of a time making this episode. It's taken me a whole month. Um, I've had a crisis of confidence that this story is interesting to people. I also wondered if maybe I was like, exaggerating and I wondered again like how am I really very different from other people this superpower and so I I talked to Percy about it we had never talked about my superpower before and it turns out that he had a lot of feelings and a lot to say about my superpower so much so that I ended up interviewing him this is me and Percy Today, we're interviewing Percy about my superpower, which is the fact that I don't seem to register uh, pain when I experience physical trauma. Uh, n- no, 
she makes it seem a lot more casual than it is. Uh, she uses words like seems to make herself feel better about the fact that she has no pain receptors in any part of her body. That's not true. It's true because I've witnessed it. So, in fact, why don't we tell the story of when you were... Um, 12. You think you were 12? I was 12. I remember being 12. You sure you weren't 13? I'm positive I was 12. Okay. We were moving um, a dresser up a flight of stairs. You had the you were on the top part of the stairs, and I was at the bottom of the stairs, and we were going up the stairs. And what happened? The entire weight of the dresser with the lip landed directly on the bridge of her nose. And not like a, it ch- like it glanced. The full brunt force of the dresser landed directly on the bridge of her nose, so much so that a chunk of her nose was is, it was missing and bleeding, profusely bleeding, not like a slight cut, like there's a chunk of flesh gone, and it's just bleeding, going down her face, all of that. And, you know, as every normal person would do, they would drop the bookcase and do something about their face. And if you're listening, that's exactly what you would have done because you're normal. But no, she did nothing. I dropped the bookcase and let out an audible gasp because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I have killed my mother. So I'm like, <gasps> and then she's like, well, pick it back up. Let's finish the thing. And not understanding that typically a regular person would do something about the fact that they have half of a nose. But nope, nothing. And then I was like, well, okay. And then we finished picking it up and moving it. And I'm thinking to myself, I have a psychopath for a mother who doesn't feel pain. Like, and I have pretty pain, high pain tolerance, right? I've broken bones and it's not that big of a deal. And I had more of a reaction to lesser pain than that. So that's how I experienced it. Now, feel free to tell your version of it okay. from a non-normal person perspective. Okay. First off, a lot of the blood was from the fact that I, the nose was broken. Still a lot of blood. It was, yeah, it was a huge amount, but it was coming out the nostrils. Yeah, now. it's hard to tell. <laughs> okay. So how I experienced it, and, I'll, and I haven't talked about this yet, and, I, and I'll go into it, but I experienced actually a whoosh of pain out the bottom of my heel. And I'll explain why that is. And that's creepy, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the story as to why that happens is also creepy. Right. I haven't told that yet, but I'm about oh, to. Okay. So that's the thing is why... Like, why did it make you think I was a psychopath? Because people feel pain. Also, side story, we're at a soccer game. I, was, I played soccer very high level as a kid. And she gets hit directly in the face with a ball and has no reaction, right? And there's grown men. Mind you, they're soccer dads, so they're pussies. But still, grown men, when grown men are in public, they pretend like they don't have any feelings. Grown men would have flinched or had some sort of reaction to the ball flying at them. Second side story, we're building a fence, I'm hammering in a nail. I hit myself in the hand with, with the hammer instead of hitting the nail, and it hurt like a bitch, right? So I'm like, oh, fuck, that hurts. Give myself a few seconds. I'm fine. I go back to hammering the nail. Literally 30 seconds later, I see her smash her thumb with the nail, and, the, and she's white, by the way. If you didn't know, I'm black. She's white. And so her thumb is purple, like grotesquely purple, and she continues to hammer the nail. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. So I just I forgot that story, but I wanted to put that because that's fucking wild. I was like, "What the fuck type shit is this?" Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So wait, hold on. I do want to go back. 
I, I actually want to re-ask you this because we talked about this before. And you had an interesting answer that I did not anticipate before. I think of this as like a superpower, like because I'm super strong, right? Or not, but not really because I actually, it does hurt. It's just I don't, I don't react. But, and you said that it's not a superpower. Oh, oh, so she says it's a superpower. But in reality, it's more like a superpower a supervillain would have. Why? Because would... listen, in every movie, right? The like, so when Superman gets punched, he like feels it, right? He's like, "Oh, I got punched. I gotta get back up and keep fighting." Then when Superman punches the other dude, he just like smirks and has a slight head tilt and then wipes off his face and then continues to press forward. That's psychotic. That shows you that like that person is not like the good person. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the difference. Like Superman gets hurt will fight through the pain because he's fighting for good and justice. The other dude has nothing to fight for, doesn't give a fuck, gets hit, and then is like, oh, that was nice, man. And then continues, see what I'm saying? So that's why you think it's like... Well, as a child, that's how I was conditioned. Right, right. Because you've watched too many superhero movies. You watch superhero movies and you watch, like, the hero gets hurt, but they, like, react as in, oh, my pain receptors felt something. You know what I mean? And then the supervillain, like, does the smirk and, like, wipes off his nose or does that weird little smile and, like, licks the blood off of his face and then continues to go forward as if that did nothing to me. You okay. know what I mean? That's the difference between good and evil is so, that's that was what I was saying. So that's what freaked you out? Uh, yeah. So this is what I learned from my interview with Percy. The way that I react to pain freaks people out because it makes me seem not human. He has a an idea of in his mind how people react and since I don't fit that it gives a bad feeling like I'm I don't even know what I guess maybe a robot or something but certainly not human less than human or even inhuman which is how I think he gets to a term like psychopath and so I now kind of get a sense of why it freaks people out there are a lot of things about my personality where I have no idea why I do the things I do and how I got this way. But in the case of my superpower, I know exactly how I got it because I remember the process of getting there. Somewhere when I was late three years old, early four years old, my mom's attitude towards me changed. I'm pretty sure that she had been nice to me. But something happened, and I don't know if that was just like a natural process of me getting older and it was inevitable, but by the time I was four years old, my mom did not like me, and she did like hurting me and scaring me. But weirdly, she hated the sound of me crying, which doesn't make any sense to me. If she liked hitting me, then it seemed natural that she would want to hear me cry, but she didn't at all. And so one day, she came up with the idea of using duct tape to cover my mouth after uh, hitting me or hurting me so that I couldn't cry, that I wouldn't be able to cry because I wouldn't be able to open my mouth. The first time she did it, I took the tape off because I couldn't breathe because my nose had been filled with snot while I was crying. And then she got the brilliant idea of taping my mouth and then taping my hands together so that I wouldn't be able to take off the tape that she had put on my mouth. And so one day she just did that. I was laying on my side. She must have knocked me down. And she put the duct tape on my mouth and then wrapped my hands and 
my wrists really too because I was little. So it was kind of all in a big ball. And she left the room. And because I had been crying and also fighting and struggling against her to try and keep the tape away, my nose was filled with snot from, from all of that. And I couldn't breathe. At first, I thought my mom would come back, that she couldn't possibly leave me like this because I was freaking out and also I couldn't breathe. And I I felt like she had to come back because it was dawning on me that I could die from this. And so as the seconds passed and I wasn't breathing and I wasn't getting air and my mom was not coming back, Like there was something that gripped me and I knew that I was fighting for survival. I decided that the only thing I could do was to try and (laughs) just suck the snot as hard as I could out of my nose and into my throat so I could swallow it. And I tried that and it didn't originally work, but I just, I mean, there was, there was no other plan. Like, I was not breathing, and I was gonna die. So I just kept doing it, right? <laughs> just as hard as I could. And I just, I don't even know, I don't know how many times I did it. I don't know how long I was laying there. But eventually I got a tiny stream of air through uh, one of my nostrils. And I was like, oh, it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working. And so I just, I did it more and harder. And... Uh, eventually I, cl- I was able to clear out my nose enough for me to breathe out my nose. And in the process of all this, it took so much focus that of course I stopped crying because I, I, yeah, I had no choice, right? Crying refills your nose up with snot. So I survived the first time she did it. I was horrified to see her show up with duct tape the very next time that she decided to do something to me. Uh, she walked into my room with the roll of duct tape in her hand. And I was terrified. And she saw that I was terrified and that made her smile. It became a habit for her to just walk into my room with a roll of duct tape. And because of that, at age four, I think four, I knew I needed to find a remedy for crying because crying could kill me. So I asked myself, what are the parts of crying? Crying is water coming from your eyes, your nose filling up with snot, but also it's the breathing, (laughs) the breathing. And since I couldn't figure out how to stop the water from coming from my eyes. And I was searching for the solution of how to make my nose not fill with snot, but I didn't know how to do that either. I decided to try working on the one thing that I did have more control over and that I did know how to do something about, which was the breathing. And so I worked on the breathing and I found that the more I worked on the breathing, the more I was able to control the crying. And I, in the end, I actually decided that the only thing that mattered was the breathing. Because once you controlled the breathing, you can control 
whether or not you cry. And I also learned by controlling my breathing, I could control my mom's perception of how upset I was. So that when she would walk in with the duct tape, where I had originally been like, oh no, she has the duct tape, (sighs) right? Starting to get upset because I knew like I was literally going to have to fight for my life. That changed over to when she walked in with the duct tape, (sighs) I slowed my breathing down and I immediately started to get ready for the breath control that I would need to control crying. And that became so automatic that it really sucked the joy out of it for my mom. But my mom didn't give up super easy. (laughs) When I first really started to be successful with controlling my breathing and not crying and not getting upset, her first reaction was to actually up the ante of the amount of pain that she dished out. So her first reaction was to hurt me more. And I I understood that. Um, And so I knew that it was vital that I not make it rewarding for her. I'm pretty sure I didn't actually know the word rewarding back then. But I saw in her face what she enjoyed. And she enjoyed hurting me and scaring me. And I saw disappointment in her face when that didn't happen. And so I knew that I had to keep seeing the disappointment in her face and in order to make sure that she didn't do it more. So when she upped the ante in terms of the amount of pain, it did originally overwhelm me. And she, she got some level of satisfaction out of it, even though I knew I needed to fight it. Like it was just too much. So I remember... I remember being four years old and sitting around thinking about pain and trying to understand pain and how to handle it. And I decided that pain was like an alarm clock. An alarm clock wakes you up in the morning, right? And that's its job. And pain is like that. Pain tells you, hey, there's a thing happening. But the difference between pain and an alarm clock is that even after it's told you what it's supposed to tell you, pain doesn't stop going off, right? It's like an alarm clock that you just can't shut off all day long, even after it's woken you up. And so I decided that I needed to find a way to do something with the pain so that I didn't think about it anymore and I didn't pay attention to it anymore. And so I tried to think about what I could do with the pain or where it could go. And I decided that there was a little hole in the bottom of my right heel, just a little hole at the bottom of my foot, and that the pain could just whoosh, whoosh out the hole. So if there is extra pain that I didn't need, it could just, just leave. And so that's what I decided to imagine and think about anytime that my mom hurt me. I would imagine the pain just whooshing out of the little hole in the bottom of my foot. And it worked. Between the breathing and the little hole, I was able to handle whatever she did. I could probably end the episode here. 
But it turns out that there's one more story uh, because I ended up having to pass a kind of final exam on pain tolerance. I don't know how long my mom used the duct tape. I know it became really routine. Like she would just walk into my room with the duct tape and I knew that I would be fine and I would sit there and I would let her tape me up and then she would do what she was going to do and I would be fine. But one day I had a really bad cold and my sinuses and my nose felt like they were filled with cement. There was no clearing my nose. No amount of trying to suck snot back into my throat. None of that worked. I could not breathe out my nose under any circumstance. And it so happened that that was the day that my mom walked into my room with with the duct tape. And for the first time in a really long time, I was afraid because I knew that if she taped up my mouth, I would die. But I also knew by this point that I could not show fear or stress or upsetness, nothing. Because if she saw those things in my face, she would feel empowered and excited And it would be nearly impossible to get her to not use the duct tape. And I knew, I knew that no matter what, I could not let her do it. So I told her very calmly, Mom, I have a really bad cold. And if you put the duct tape over my mouth, I won't be able to breathe and I will die. And Dad won't be happy when he gets home tonight and I'm dead. Now... Because we had fallen into such a, a ho-hum routine with the duct tape, my mom wasn't actually finding it that satisfying anymore. But she was still reluctant to give up the routine that she knew so well. So she was sort of on the fence. And I needed to get her off the fence. And so I decided to make it almost like a challenge for her. And I said, Mom, don't worry. You don't need the duct tape anymore. No matter what you do to me, I won't cry. In fact, you know what? I bet you can't make me cry. Watch. Let's try it. I'll show you. And I pushed and I prodded and I manipulated. And she agreed to try it without the duct tape. And I knew that no matter what happened after that, that I needed to not cry, flinch, nothing, nothing. And so she pummeled me. She pummeled me. And I didn't move. I didn't cry out. Did nothing. I let her because I had to, to live. And so that was my final exam. And I passed. And you know I passed because I'm alive. And this brings us to the reflections portion of the program. So after listening back to the stories I've just told you, I have the following three observations. Observation number one. When Percy and I first talked about moving the piece of furniture, I clearly remembered that we had been moving a dresser. 
And he clearly remembered that we had been moving a bookcase. What's weird is, you know, the rest of our recollections were pretty much in sync. But for some reason, we each remembered a different piece of furniture. And we talked about that. And we went through um, the list of furniture that was on that upper floor. And we both concluded that it must have been a dresser because there were no bookcases up there. But in the interview, when Percy got into telling the story and he reached back into his mind's eye to relive the moment, he went back to calling it a bookcase. So observation number one is, when Percy looks back into his memory, the bookcase is what feels real to him, even though it couldn't possibly have been a bookcase. And so it makes me realize how fragile these stories are and how despite how hard I will try. There's just no way that I'm always going to be able to get it right because I won't always know if it had been a bookcase or a dresser. Observation number two. I wonder if you're wondering why I told this story. I told this story because my determination to be the mom that I never got to have is the rocket fuel that drives me to be the best mom that I can be. But unfortunately, the baggage that I carry from my shitty childhood is the thing that weighs me down and contributes to some of my worst failures as a mom. So I told you this story because the story of my childhood becomes the story of my parenthood. Reflection number three. After my final exam, my mother never used the duct tape again. And that turned out to be one of the last times that she all out beat me because it wasn't satisfying to hurt a person who didn't seem to notice they were being hurt. And so now I can't figure out if I won the battle or I won the war or if I won neither or both. I got my mom to stop using duct tape because it was a threat to my life. But I did that by making it so that she didn't need to bind my hands and my mouth because I made those internal so that I became like the perfect punching bag that wouldn't fight back and wouldn't call out for help or even just in pain. So I I can't figure out who won. Did I win? Did my mother win? I became the perfect punching bag, but I stayed alive. And now I wonder if maybe my superpower isn't having a high pain tolerance. Maybe my superpower is surviving. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.